Welcome. My name is Dr. Jonathan Vorse, and thank you for downloading our podcast today on Working the Word. Make sure you hit that subscribe button to receive new podcasts every week. Thank you for your support at jvorse.org and enjoy the message today. please to the book of Luke chapter 7 and uh, we're going into the 13th message on this series called Red Letters as we work our way through the book of St. Luke. This has been a good study hasn't it? Good series. For For the most part we've been able to keep going. We've had to pause and do a different message every now and then but for the most part We've been able to keep going Sunday after Sunday on this. And uh, there's just so much that we can learn through the life and through the ministry and through the teachings of Jesus. And uh, I'm excited to share with you today a message entitled, Through the Eyes of Jesus. Father, we come to you today. We thank you the opportunity that we have to gather together to worship you in spirit and in truth. Thank you for those that are here today. Touch me to be able to effectively communicate your word, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said... uh, Amen. In Luke chapter 7, beginning of verse number 24, the Bible said, When the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. Speaking of Jesus talking to these messengers, uh, talking to the people about uh, concerning John. He said, What went ye out into the wilderness for to see? A reed shaken with the wind. What went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment. Behold, they which are gorgeously appareled and live delicately are in king's courts. But what went she out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God, being baptized with the baptism of John. Now, by way of laying a foundation, let's just kind of recap just a little bit what we were talking about last week. We understand that Jesus was in the temple and he was ministering here. And the Bible said, actually, the Bible said that um, that John the Baptist had sent a couple of disciples to ask Jesus the question, are you the one that we look for or is there another? Are we looking for another? Are, in other words, are you the Messiah or are we looking for another? Well, I think the reason probably for that was that John the Baptist was on death row in prison. He was there because Herodias' daughter had danced before the king and pleased the king and the king told her that he would give her whatever she wanted and so she asked for the death of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was probably expecting Jesus to help him get delivered from prison. After all, he was the forerunner of Christ. He was out preaching that there comes one after me who is mightier than I, who is preferred before me. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now let's stop and think about this for just a moment, okay? We have John the Baptist dressed in camel's hair, eating locusts and wild honey, prophesying in the wilderness that there comes one after him who is preferred before him. He talks about the baptism of John, which is baptism in water, and then he talks about being baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now, on this side 
of the day of Pentecost, that's pretty easy to understand. But you have to kind of put yourself back in that time and you have to realize Pentecost hadn't happened yet. The Holy Spirit had not come in corporate form yet. In other words, John was prophesying about something that they were totally unfamiliar with. When he was talking about that you will be baptized with the Holy Ghost, they're like, what is the Holy Ghost? And then he added to it, and with fire, and they're like, my goodness, what? I mean, fire is the opposite of water. So why would we be baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire? And so Jesus comes, you know, and Jesus is doing these things. And so John sends a couple of disciples. And they ask Jesus, they say, you know, are, are, are you the one we're looking for or is there another? In other words, don't you know that John is in prison? Don't you know that? Jesus' answer to them was action. The Bible said that Jesus began to heal the sick. He began to cast out devils. He began to preach the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. He did all of these things. And in the verse 22, Jesus answering said unto them, Go your way and tell John what things you have seen and heard. How that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and to the poor the gospel is preached. And then he adds this caveat on the end of it in verse 23 when he says, And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me or not be offended by me. So the disciples of John the Baptist run back to John the Baptist and they tell him what Jesus said. Now, when they left, you have Jesus standing here. And Jesus had just gotten through doing all kinds of miracles. I mean, by, by the Word of God right here, the Bible said that the lame walked and the blind saw and the lepers were cleansed and the deaf heard and the dead were raised and the gospel was being preached to the poor. So you have Jesus doing all of this healing and combating poverty. You got that, okay? So Jesus is standing here and you have sinners, publicans, Jews, and Pharisees. And so Jesus turns his attention to them and he said, when the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto those people and he said unto them, he said, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? Why did you go out there? What did you go out there to see? Did you really think that you were going to go out there and see someone that was clothed in soft raiment? Well, there's a prophet out there. Surely he's going to be clothed in soft raiment. Surely he's going to have smooth words. Surely he's a... No, no, no. They got out there to find John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus, prophesying about Jesus. And this guy looked like a wild man. Here he was. He was eating locusts and wild honey. He was dressed in camel's hair. He probably had a booming voice and he would stand probably on a rocky ledge or the side of, of a riverbank somewhere and he would preach John's gospel. What was John's gospel? What I told you just a few moments ago. There comes one after me who was preferred before me whose shoes I am not worthy to unlatch or unloose I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Amen. That was his message. 
The fulfillment of that message came into fruition one day when John was standing on the banks of Jordan and he was preaching and he looks up and Jesus comes walking down the banks of Jordan and he turns and he looks at Jesus in front of everybody and he says, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. In other words, this is the Messiah that the prophets have foretold you about. This is the Lamb which will be slain from the foundation of the world. This, this is the one that came born of a virgin. This is the Messiah that the prophets foretold. And so Jesus looks at them and he says, You went out there in the wilderness. What did you think you would see? He said, someone clothed in, in soft raiment. He said, those that are gorgeously appareled, they live delicately and they're in king's houses. So the prophet of God, the forerunner of Jesus, did not come as they thought that he would come. And then he said, but what did you go out to see? A prophet? He said, well, you saw a prophet and I'm telling you, he was much more than a prophet. He was the forerunner of the Messiah. And then he goes on, verse 27, Jesus explained that. He said, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. And then he said, and he's vindicating John the Baptist. He said, I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. And then he goes on and he makes this statement. Now listen very closely. He said, but he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Amen. What does that mean? When he said, but he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Here's what it means. John the Baptist was powerful. John the Baptist had the anointing. John the Baptist had the privilege of baptizing the Son of God in the river Jordan. He saw, he saw the Spirit of God descend upon him like a dove. He heard the voice out of heaven that said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And he had the privilege of being the forerunner and the messenger of Jesus Christ. But Jesus was saying to them, what I'm getting ready to teach you over these next three years, three and a half years, are things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And if you will get involved in things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and if you will join yourself to the kingdom of God, I tell you that the least of those that are in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. Why? Because the kingdom of God moves us into a different relationship with God. The kingdom of God offers sonship. The kingdom of God offers authority. The kingdom of God offers a different level of life. It offers a different level of living. That's what the kingdom of God does. And so Jesus was saying, yes, I'm the Messiah. I'm the door. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I'm the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. That's me. That's who I am. And through the teachings that I make available to you, when I'm crucified on Calvary, raise again the third day, ascend up into heaven and send the Holy Spirit that John the Baptist is talking about, then that's going to move you from a place where you're powerless to a place where you have power. That's going to move you from a place where you have no authority to a place where you are living in the authority of the believer. Are you getting this? Amen. Are you getting this? And so this is what Jesus was telling them. So you got Pharisees over here. 
here and you got publicans here and you got sinners here and you got Jews here and you've got those disciples of John that had just left. And Jesus, what he's doing now is he's beginning to open the door to the message of the kingdom of God. Wow. Did you know that up until the time that John the Baptist was born, that there was no person born of woman that was greater than John the Baptist. But the very first person that became born again into the kingdom of God was already a level higher than that prophet. Do you get that? Do you see that? Now, revelation is progressive from generation to generation. God moves us from revelation to revelation. God moves us from glory to glory. God raises us up into places that we didn't even know existed. God prepares our hearts and He prepares our lives and He prepares us for different experiences that we had no idea would ever, that we would ever experience. How does He do that? He does it through the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus. That's how He does it. Now, we go on here. <laughs> of the people that heard him and the publicans, all the people that heard Jesus and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. And then the Bible said in verse number 30, now the people that heard Jesus and the publicans, they justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. But in verse number 30, the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected that same counsel. They rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus addresses them. He says unto them, Whereunto then shall I liken the men of this generation, and to what are they like? He said, they're like children sitting in the marketplace, calling one to another, saying, we've piped unto you and you've not danced. We've mourned to you and you've not wept. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you said he has a devil. He said, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of all of her children. So here's what Jesus was saying. He was saying, you know, the publicans and, and the people that heard this, they justified God. They, were being, they, were, they had received the baptism of John, and they were willing to sit under the teaching of things pertaining to the kingdom of heaven. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves and they started throwing a temper tantrum. They started throwing a temper tantrum. He said, you're acting like children sitting in the marketplace saying, we piped unto you and you didn't dance and we mourned and you didn't weep. In other words, we couldn't manipulate you to do what we wanted you to do. We can't manipulate you any longer to do what we want you to do. Let me tell you something. When you come into the revelation of things pertaining to the kingdom of God, the spirit of manipulation that held you through legalism and religiosity dies. It can't hold you anymore. It has no more power over you. Why? Because you've received the spirit of adoption and you've received the revelation of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And people 
that could manipulate you before and systems that could manipulate you before and people that could try to make you do things because they did things before will start squalling and hollering just like these Pharisees did and they'll throw religious temper tantrums when they don't get their own way. Amen. How many's ever experienced that? Right. You experienced that? Let me tell you something. When you give your life to Jesus and you come into the revelation of things pertaining to the kingdom of God, what do you mean by that? I'm talking about you come into the revelation of who you are. You come into the revelation of your authority. You come into the revelation of what the Word of God says for you right here, right now, in this generation, and the power that you have. When you come into that revelation, then there are going to be religious spirits everywhere that are going to start crying foul, and they're going to squall, and they're going to beller, and they're going to make all kinds of noise. Why? Because you are breaking free from the shackles and the chains that had you bound. Now, here's what Jesus said. He said, listen to you temper tantrum kids, Pharisees and lawyers. He said, listen. He said, John the Baptist didn't come eating bread or drinking wine, and you said he has a devil. And he said, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say he's a gluttonous man, a wine-bibber, and a friend of publicans and sinners. In other words, he was saying, you have a contentious spirit. You can't be pleased. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? That nasty spirit is alive in the earth today. It's alive in our churches. It's alive in our political systems. It's alive in some of our families. It's alive in some of our workplaces in the marketplace. That contentious spirit that cannot be pleased is alive today. And I want to encourage you, just because it's there, don't mean you have to participate. Why? Because wisdom is justified of all of her children. Let me help you clear up the cobwebs. Let me help you clear up the confusion. Are you ready for this? Choose right now the kingdom of God. Amen. Choose right now the kingdom of heaven. That's what I choose. No matter what happens, I choose God's system and God's ways of doing things. No matter what happens, I choose the Word. No matter what happens, I choose the presence of God. I'm going to be presence-driven. No matter what happens, I'm God's. And you choose God right now. Then... When religion sticks its ugly head up on down the road, the decision's already been made. Amen. When manipulation tries to play against you like it has in the past, the decision was already made. When the enemy tries to come against you and tries to convince you that you are not what God's Word says you are, the decision has already been made. You chose the kingdom of heaven. You chose the kingdom of God, God's system, and God's ways of doing things. That's wisdom. That's godly wisdom, and wisdom is justified of her children. I'm a child of God. I'm an heir of God. I'm a joint heir with Christ. I'm a son of God with full rights and authority of sonship. Because of that, then I receive the benefits of of godly wisdom 
and God justifies things in my life. What does the Bible mean when it means that wisdom is justified of her children? God's wisdom says that by his stripes you were healed. That's what God's wisdom says. Is it not right? All right. So what does the word justify mean? Just as if. So when I come to the Lord by faith, and I receive healing sometimes by faith before the manifestation of it inside of me, when I receive it by faith, then through the eyes of God, He sees me just as if I had not been ill. Wisdom, God's wisdom, is justified, made just as if of her children, I have full rights as a child of God. Doesn't mean that sickness won't manifest. It doesn't mean that there won't be a battle. It doesn't mean that there won't be a faith fight. In fact, faith is calling things that be not as though they were, not calling things that are as though they aren't. Yeah. Amen. That's what faith is. If there was no reason for me to ever fight a battle by faith, then why would there be so many healing scriptures and prosperity scriptures and peace scriptures and redemption scriptures? You go down the line in the Word of God. The truth is, the Word will work if you work the Word. But you have to work it in order for it to work. The wisdom of God is justified by God's children. So then, let's go on here. Let's go down the road just a little bit farther here. So, we see here in verse number 36 that this woman, this, this Pharisee, not the woman, we'll get to the woman in just a moment, but this Pharisee who Jesus, he, he was with the other Pharisees and lawyers, but this Pharisee, after listening to Jesus and after witnessing what Jesus did, he was standing with the other Pharisees. This Pharisee still says to Jesus, I'd really like you to come to my house for dinner. Now I want to ask you all a question. If, the, if someone treated you the way the Pharisees treated Jesus, would you still go to their house for dinner? Probably not. But Jesus never ran from the hard cases. In fact, when that Pharisee invited him to come to dinner, Jesus saw that as an open door. He said, sure, I'll come to dinner. And so he goes to dinner with this Pharisee. One of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and he sat down to meet. Now look at verse 37. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. And she stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith unto him, Master, say on. Now, I want to point out a couple of things right here. 
The Pharisee didn't speak what he was thinking, but Jesus knew what he was thinking. Why did Jesus know? Because the Bible said that he knows the very thoughts and the intents of our heart. If you think, now let me stop right here and just go down this rabbit trail real quick. If you think you can hide things from God, friend, you've got another thing coming. There is absolutely nothing you will ever think. There's nothing you will ever do. It doesn't matter how well you think it's hidden. God sees it. My mother used to tell me I have an eye in the back of my head. So behave. Well, when I got older, she started telling me there's an all-seeing eye watching you. What does that mean? That means that God sees. God knows. He's always there. He's always present. He knows the very thoughts and the intents of our heart. And so Jesus knew this. And so here's the Pharisee. And he's having these thoughts. Well, look at this woman. Look what she's doing. She's, she's crying and she's making a, a spectacle of herself and she's washing his feet with tears and wiping them with the hairs of her head and kissing his feet and anointing him with, with ointment and all this kind of thing. And, and in his mind, verse number 39, he said, this man, speaking of Jesus, he didn't even call him a prophet or anything. He just said if he were a prophet. He said, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him for she is a sinner. I want to ask you this question. How did he know that? Amen. Let's go to work. How did Jesus, or how did the Pharisee know that she was a sinner? Were there possible relationships before? Were there things that were hidden that he was concerned would be revealed? Listen, Satan will always accuse when God is moving. You would be surprised at the lies that have been told on us. Stuff, you have to have quite an active imagination you know, to come up with stuff. You know, some of the things we've been accused of in the past, <laughs> dear God, I'm not going to go down that road, but some, I don't think, but some, <laughs> but some of the things that we've been accused of in the past is just laughable and it's, you know, our mind wouldn't even think like that. You know, well, but that's what Satan does. He just accuses people. Because the only power that Satan has, he gets through bluff and deception. He's already been defeated. His power's already been stripped from him. He's been destroyed. So the only power Satan has against a spirit-filled child of God, listen to me, is the power that we surrender to him when he bluffs us and deceives us into thinking things that are not true. So how did this guy know that this lady was a sinner? 
Jesus knew what he was thinking, and so Jesus, the greatest storyteller of all time, he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he says, Master, say on. In verse 41, he said, there was a certain creditor which had two debtors, and one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Verse 43, Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most, and he said unto him, you have rightly judged. Jesus always used stories that people could relate to to get spiritual points across. So he chose a story that would be relatable to the Pharisee and then he drove his point home when he said this. He turned to the woman and said to Simon, he turns, looks at the woman while he's speaking to Simon and he says, seest thou this woman? Look, Simon, see that woman? He said, I came into your house. You didn't give me water for my feet. He said, but she's washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. In other words, you gave me no greeting when I came in. You didn't acknowledge me when I came in. You didn't give me a greeting. But this woman, since I have come in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. He said, my head with oil you did not anoint, but this woman has anointed my feet with ointment. And he said, Therefore, wherefore I say unto you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Go back up to verse number 42. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me therefore, which of them will love him the most? 43, Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto them, you have rightly judged. Verse number 47, wherefore I say unto you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Jesus took the story, applied it to the situation that was at hand, made his point that when I came in here, you didn't recognize the Son of Glory. You didn't recognize the Messiah. You didn't see me as the Messiah. But God had my back. And God had my back through a sinner. God had my back through someone that no one else would choose. Here's what I have learned. I love you dearly, but sinners have treated me better than most Christians I know. What a shame. What a shame that sinners sometimes treat people better than Christians. And here's the point that I want to make to you. Is we want God to use us, don't we? We make ourselves available. But if He doesn't use us, He's always got a Rahab somewhere. There's always somebody somewhere that God will choose. What we need to do is we need to say, Lord, choose me. Lord, I'm available. Whatever you want, here I am. Here I am. And some of the very people that we pass over because they don't fit our preconceived molds are the very ones that God chooses over and over and over again. Why? 
Because for them, grace is not something they showcase. It's something they've experienced and they live. I was talking to an individual several years ago when I was working at a dairy, many years ago. This man, I found out later, he was one of my employees, and I found out later that he had spent several years in prison for some crimes that he had committed. But when I hired him, he was a bivocational pastor. And he was pastoring a church in the area where I was, uh, where, where some of my routes were. And uh, he did like a buy thing with the company that we were with. And he oversaw as a route supervisor under me, I was the, the manager of Eastern Kentucky for that particular dairy. And he oversaw those routes. And one day we're sitting in the offices there in Moorhead, Kentucky. And he knew that I had a background and a history of being in ministry. And he knew that I loved the Lord. And he saw my Bible open all of the time on my desk. And he knew that, you know, occasionally I would minister out. And when I was during the time when Donna and I were going through our deal that you can read in this book eventually. And so um, he just opened up a conversation and all of this stuff that had happened to him just came out. And he made this statement to me. He said, most of the people that I have run into in the modern church today has no idea the value of grace. That's what he said to me. And I said, can you talk a little bit more about that? I'm really interested in what your thoughts are on this. He said, I've experienced it. He said, I've lived it. He said, the things that I did, I owned up to. He said, it, they were horrible. I served time in prison. He said, but God, in His mercy and in His grace, forgave me of what I had done. And then He didn't say, I'll repair your life. He said, I'll give you a brand new life. Amen. I said, Ooh, that'll preach. So he grabbed his wallet. He was afraid I was going to take an offering. We had that kind of relationship. Here's the point that I want to make, and I'm closing. But here's the point I want to make. Just because conventional wisdom passes over somebody doesn't mean God will. God don't have a person to waste. I'm going to say it again. God don't have a person to waste. Not one person. Every single person has value, holds value to God. To whom much is given much is required to whom much is forgiven there's great love this lady here no telling what she had been into but something happened that day 
she encountered Jesus. She encountered Jesus. Are you hearing me? She encountered Jesus. When we encounter Jesus, He changes us. You cannot stand in the presence of the divine and leave the same. Just the awesomeness of His presence changes the room. The atmosphere. I don't know if you've noticed it, but within the last maybe two minutes, the atmosphere in this sanctuary has changed. Why? Because I'm preaching under the unction of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit knew it was time to reveal Jesus to us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we come against the enemy that tries to steal to kill and destroy. We embrace things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And we accept that God gives us life and that more abundantly. Wow. Just like this woman here, we bow at the feet of Jesus. In verse 47, Jesus said to her, your sins, which are many, are forgiven. When they sat at meat with him, and they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves again, instead of out, just within themselves, who is this? That forgives sins also. So in other words, he, he causes the blind to see, the lame to walk. He cleanses lepers. Deaf people hear. Dead people are raised. To the poor, the gospel is preached. And now we add to that list the forgiveness of sins. Now Jesus could have addressed what they were thinking but he realized that the atmosphere had changed he realized that now it was not a question that was facetious but it was a question of curiosity when we become curious about the things of God our spirit opens our heart opens and we can receive things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So Jesus kind of hit the pause button with his conversation with the Pharisees and those in the room. And he turns and he says to this woman, these words, thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Why didn't he say you're cleansed by the blood of Calvary? because Calvary hadn't happened yet. You see that? He said, thy faith has saved thee, go in peace. She came to Jesus in faith and he forgave her, extending her grace outside 
of the dispensation of grace while he was buttoning up the law. Jesus came not to destroy the law, but to satisfy the law. To fulfill it. To fill it up. When Jesus died, the effects of the law and the dispensation of the law closed. And God's dispensation of glorious grace opened up. The dispensation of the church. Hallelujah. And just like her, it's our faith in Jesus Christ that saves us. The blood cleanses. It washes. Removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. And the Bible said God remembers it against us no more. But it's by faith that we are saved. It's by faith that we are saved. For those watching, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you can be saved. For with the heart... Man believes unto righteousness, and with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. Believe, 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 believe. Faith, faith, faith. Trust God, believe God. And then confessing by faith. The confession of faith. Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you came to this earth. I believe. I believe. I believe. Let's all stand. Thank you for listening to Dr. Jonathan Vorse on Working the Word. We appreciate your love and support. Visit www.jvorse.org to give a gift today. Don't forget to subscribe and enjoy the rest of your day. Always remember, the Word will work if you work the Word. Be blessed.